you know, in pregnancy, we, that the belly is revered and people are posting images every day and comparing it to the size of fruits and vegetables, the whole, it's this, it's, we're so proud of it. And as soon as we've given birth, it becomes a place of shame and we have to hide it away and we have to look not pregnant as fast as possible. Correct. And I believe that's contributing again to the, to the, to the breakdown of the body. It's, it's like, we need to rest, we need to recover and rehab. It really truly requires rehab. Like any other part of the body that became injured, we would go through a rehab and it is simply overlooked with, with pregnancy and birth. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Hey, Bettys, welcome back to another episode of Better with Dr. Stephanie. It's me, your host, Stephanie Estima. Today, we are talking all about the pelvic floor. Both men and women have a pelvic floor. And today's episode, we are focusing a lot on the changes of a pelvic floor through the arc of a woman's life. And we are talking to the vagina coach herself, Kim Vopney. And that's actually her handle on uh, social media is the vagina coach. And she thinks that everybody should uh, have a coach for their vagina. Um, She holds a BA in psychology and a postgrad diploma in health and fitness. She's a a restorative exercise specialist, certified personal trainer, and a certified pre-postnatal fitness consultant, certified fitness uh, for fertility specialist and Pilates instructor, and a hypopressive method trainer. So very qualified to speak about the pelvic floor. And in this episode, we talk about some of the changes, the functions of the pelvic floor, where it starts, where it ends, and... We talk about some of the changes that a woman can experience through the arc of her life. So specifically, we talk about pregnancy and childbirth and some of the changes that can happen. We talk about this obsession, this bounce back body obsession, especially around pregnancy, which is a bit of a, a bit of a pet peeve of mine that I think really needs to change. Like you've just created a human, like let's not think about the weight loss just yet. Um, we also get into Kegels, lots of controversy around Kegels. Um, should you do them? Should you do them? Should you not do them during pregnancy? And we talk about their origin, how they're used. And we talk about the different types of pelvic floor. So whether you are, have a a pelvic floor that may be hypertonic or hypotonic, we talk about the different applications of exercises there, which of course we get into hypopressives as well, which is one of the exercises that when I was practicing in clinic was one of my favorites for, um, my patients, whether they were pregnant or I suspected that they had back issues, glute issues, even knee tracking issues, we'd give them some hypopressive exercises, which is basically a low pressure exercise to help, uh, restore the integrity of the pelvic floor. Now, this is a conversation that I think every woman, irrespective of her age should be listening to because we, this is something that's not really discussed freely in the open forum. That is our culture. It's often, you know, we give birth and we, uh, we sort of keep some of these changes to ourselves. We're not sure if we're, they're normal, et cetera. And I think that this is going to be a really eye opening conversation for you. This was recorded live inside my hello Betty membership, my HBHQ, as I affectionately call it. Um, so what we did was we recorded this and then we had a question and answer, um, afterwards. So, and without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with the vagina coach, Kim Vopney. 
I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause. And there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just taste like water and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. I am so happy to be able to welcome one of my one of my own uh, to the podcast today. This is uh, Kim Vopney. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here and chat with you. Yeah. And we are right now, we are recording this live inside the Hello Betty uh, membership, which um, for those of you that are not familiar with it, it is my female centric membership on all things nutrition and fitness. Uh, we talk about vaginas. We talk about, we talk about hormones. We talk about sex. We talk about all the juicy uh, conversations that you maybe wish you had uh, when you were earlier, uh, earlier, younger uh, with friends, um, but never had the opportunity to. And when I saw that Kim was one of our Bettys in our membership, I really wanted to highlight you because you are not only a Betty, but you are, of course, a pelvic floor specialist. And this is a big topic uh, inside Hello Betty. I did a training on this uh, last month and there was a lot of interest. And so I'm really excited to be discussing all things pelvic floor with you today. Well, I'm excited that you're chatting about it too, because of course I'm I'm biased, but I love the pelvic floor, and I I will uh, welcome anybody who will allow me to share some information and help spread the word, because it really is a an, an a sort of a, it still is a bit of a taboo topic, and not a lot of people are are yet aware of all they need to know. So I really um, am thankful for you highlighting it. Yeah. And it's it kind of, it's a topic that sort of reminds me of uh, menstrual cycles. So I, as you may or may not know, I wrote a book on, you know, living in alignment with our cycles and it almost seemed a bit taboo to talk about bleed week and, you know, you're bleed. Yes. Yeah. We bleed for five days out of the month. And I feel like the same, there's a similar through line there with pelvic floor, the discussion around pelvic floor. And even when I would refer, when I was back in physical practice, I would refer patients to PT, uh, physical uh, therapists all the time who had special specialized training, uh, like pelvic floor physiotherapists. And they would be like, you know what? It was just weird. Like, I just felt like I was getting like, you know, they, you know, there was, you know, they, they didn't like the experience. And I think that there seems to be this, I don't want to say subculture or counterculture, but almost this uprising from women saying, you know what? we're not little men. We have different needs. We go through things like childbirth. We bleed every month for, you know, a certain amount of years and I'm sick and tired of being ashamed of it. And I'm sick and tired of feeling guilty and like, there's something wrong with me. And like, I need to know more about, you know, my Yoni as some people refer to, or my, you know, my nether regions, whatever it is. So yeah, I'm glad you're here too. So let's, um, before we, um, before we, and I want to ask you about your history. I want to ask you about, you know, how you became, because you're known online as the vagina coach, which is just the best name ever. Um, you know, your handle on Instagram, the vagina coach, all these things. But let, before we get into that, just for, you know, for my ladies and, you know, the other humans who love them, uh, want to, let's just define what we're talking about, because even still today in 2021, the pelvic floor, like it's like, what is that? Is that the area that you Kegel? Like, let's talk about, you know, what the pelvic floor is, where it is uh, and its function, its mechanical and, you know, physiological uh, function. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And it's, it, it, there's all sorts of names. And I, I, I like to start out talking with the proper anatomical terms and I encourage anybody who's a parent to use those with their kids. But at the same time, I appreciate that it's, it's, we want to have a little bit of fun and it can sometimes be a difficult topic to talk about. And if we add in a little bit of slang words here and there, it can sometimes increase the, 
the comfort of some people talking about it. But so the pelvic floor is a group of muscles that close off the base of our pelvis. So within our pelvis, we have bones and we have a bunch of nerves. We have lots of blood supply. We've got this group of muscles that attach from the pubic joint. So at the front, people call it pubic bone sometimes, but it is actually a joint at the front. And at the back, we have our, at the end of our spine, the very end, our little tail, people call it the tailbone. It's called the coccyx, if you want the fancy word. That's also an attachment point of the pelvic floor muscles. And then if we're sitting in a chair, and if we kind of put one hand under a butt cheek and we pull the flesh of our bum away, we should be able to kind of dig our fingers in and feel a little bit of a bony point under each butt cheek or within each butt cheek. And that would be the ischial tuberosities uh, or sits bones. And so those four points make the, it's almost like a diamond shape. And those are where the pelvic floor muscles attach. And the important part is, as you mentioned, some people call it the Kegel muscle. And it's important to understand that it's not just one muscle, it is a group. There's three layers. And the first two layers are primarily responsible for closing openings. So within the female body, we've got our anus, we have our vagina, we have our urethra, and the pelvic floor plays a role in helping those open when they need to and keep them closed when we don't want things to be coming out. And then we have the third layer that's primarily responsible for organ support. So in the female body, we've got bladder, uterus, and rectum, and the pelvic floor muscles play a role in helping keep those organs supported and in their proper anatomical position. The pelvic floor also plays a role in our pelvic and spinal control and stability. So because of the attachment points on the spine and the pelvis, we, it plays a role in our, our core control mechanisms. And it plays a role in our sexual response. And it also has a bit of a sump pump action. So the, the pelvic floor actually moves in coordination with our breath and creates this sort of, uh, as I said, sump pump to help move things, to help you know, with digestion, circulation, getting toxins out. So it's these really, really important jobs that we're never told about. And if we knew the importance of this part of our body, I think it would open up conversations earlier. It would help decrease the shame. And it would also help prevent a lot of these challenges that people deal with. And a lot of them, they deal with in silence. They suffer with in silence because it's, it's this taboo subject and it's often associated with shame or trauma or embarrassment and people sometimes are dismissed by healthcare providers like oh it's just part of being a woman or it's because you're reaching menopause or it's because you've given birth and even media tells us that light bladder leakage is just part of being a woman so we're, we're fed all these messages and even through our families maybe passed down through generations that well that's just what happens um, but thankfully with social media and a whole bunch of you know, public health preachers like myself, the conversation is getting out there and people are now recognizing that there is a lot that can be done. It's not something they need to accept uh, as something they need to live with for the rest of their life. And they're starting to place value at this part of the body that is the foundation of our core and really is the source of our confidence and our power. And uh, when, when, when it's optimized, we, we move better, we sleep better, we can enjoy sex more, you know, it just influences so many parts of our life. Absolutely. And I have to say, you know, when I was, this would often come up in clinical practice where we would, when we were trying to get, you know, and it would, it would never come up in the beginning, right? It would always, I would have a patient presenting with, you know, persistent low back pain or knee issues or thoracic dysfunction. And you would go through some of the, um, you know, things that you, you know, as you accrue over the course of time, you sort of accrue tools that, you know, are like that are going to work and that are robust in terms of their efficacy. And there would be those patients that you do all the things and then, you know, it would still be happening. And um, it would only come up after you sort of develop a certain amount of rapport with the woman. And then she would end up saying, you know what, like, I can't, like it was, I remember it was, um, there's one patient I'm thinking of in particular, and she's like, I just can't, I can't go to the trampoline park anymore with my kids. Like that was, and I was like, why not? He's like, oh, because like I have to, I, if I don't have a, like I will have to bring a pad with me or if I don't, like I'll so, you know, I'll pee, there'll be some leakage. And so then I was, you know, sort of became savvy to, you know, these people who didn't um, get better with just a low back intervention or just a glute intervention or just a thoracic expansion intervention or whatever it was that I was doing that I would start asking them about these questions. And I'm like, uh, you know, and then, you know, when you ask it, they're like, 
how did you know? Like, did, did something happen? <laughs> you know, it's like, no, it's just, you know, just from clinical experience, like this is kind of what happens. And I think it's so important that, that we're talking about this because, you know, if you are a woman, as you said, if you're a woman who just accepts this as part of getting older, like I just need to wear a pad because I'm 50 or I'm 60 years old, like pardon my French, but fuck that. Like that's, that's not, that is not an appropriate model um, for most women to adopt. Now there are, there are extreme, we'll get into pelvic organ prolapse. And we'll talk about some of these more extreme cases where we have this dysfunction, um, where we have, you know, or, you know, the viscera, you know, extrude, yeah. like coming out of the body, we'll get there. But for a woman, you should be able to run, you should be able to laugh or cough or sneeze, uh, all of these things that increase, you know, intra-abdominal pressure without leaking. Yeah. 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 Yeah, okay. And just, I wanted to touch on something you said with regards to back pain. There's a researcher out of Milton, Ontario, Dr. Sinead Dufour, who did a, a study that was recently published. And she was looking at the correlation between low back pain and pelvic floor dysfunction. And in her study, and it was all women, 95.3, I believe was the number uh, percent of the women in that study who, who presented with low back pain also had some form of pelvic floor dysfunction, typically incontinence or prolapse. So the two are very closely tied and so many people experience low back pain and they'll see a chiropractor or a massage therapist or maybe acupuncture, maybe physio, but pelvic floor physio is, is not many people know about it. And that can often be, as you were talking about, that can be the missing link for so many people. Yeah. Well said. All right. Let's talk a little bit. So one of the most common, um, you know, in a, in a woman's history, uh, if I was looking for any evidence of pelvic floor dysfunction, it was either, you know, one pregnancy or she was multiparous, meaning she had more than one. Um, so pregnancy, and childbirth. So let's talk a little bit about some of the mechanical changes that can happen. Um, some of the increased pressure, the shifting in weight, you know, the spine, like let's talk about all of those things as it relates to the pelvic floor in pregnancy. And then what we can expect, um, postpartum after childbirth. Yeah. So pregnancy and childbirth are definite known contributors to increasing our risk of experiencing pelvic floor dysfunction or challenges like incontinence and prolapse, chronic low back pain. And part of it is biomechanically. So our, our posture changes as a result, we have increased size, most people in their breasts. Sometimes we get more rounded in our shoulders, in our abdominal wall. We obviously the belly starts to grow out in front of us. We have the two six pack muscles in the abdominal wall. Those are our outermost abdominals. Those are joined, like held in place at the midline by a connective tissue called the linea alba. And that linea alba faces stress, uh, stretch as the belly grows. And sometimes the rectus will move away from the midline. So that can alter our core control mechanisms. Also the underlying uh, abdominal muscles are also experiencing stretch and sort of displacement, uh, I guess is a, a, a word we could use. Our center of gravity shifts. So now the way that we start to hold that weight. So sometimes people, it's very common to see pregnant people that are waddling and they often have their, their upper back is sort of leaning back and their pelvis is almost thrust forward. And they, they sort of do this little waddle. Sometimes it's because of discomfort and pain. And sometimes it's because that's the position that they have adopted to almost counteract this, this center of gravity this growing belly that's out in front of them. And that can then result in altered breathing mechanics. It can, it can create more discomfort in the low back. We even have research to say that pregnant women have more back pain than non-pregnant women. And I don't know if we necessarily needed a study to confirm that, but it's true. In other <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So, and, and then the muscles, so the pelvic floor muscles, those alterations in how we're carrying our weight also alters the, the way that our pelvic floor muscles are functioning. And oftentimes they start to hold on to more tension. So part of it is because of the, the relationship between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor starts to shift a bit because of that change in our posture. Sometimes it's because maybe we're sitting more or sitting in different ways because we're trying to manage pain. Um, but those are the most common. We also experience the hormonal fluctuations that can, can contribute to some discomfort, pregnancy aches and pains, most specifically in the pelvis and in the abdominal, uh, sorry, in the low back. 
So pelvic girdle pain, pregnancy-related pelvic girdle pain, especially in the pubic joint at the front, the tailbone, um, and also the SI joints in the pelvis. So SI joints here at the back, we have two of them. We can have tailbone pain down here, and we can also experience pubic joint pain at the front, partly because of the hormones, but then also we have an additional weight. So we are carrying this ever-increasing load as the baby grows, potentially babies, that's not only shifted our center of gravity, but the muscles need to carry that load as well. And if they're not in their ideal optimal position, then other muscles will maybe start to overwork. So sometimes the posterior pelvic floor starts to come in a little bit more, but then also the glutes start to become a little bit inhibited. So you see in pregnancy, it's not as, uh, I guess, visual, partly because we typically carry a little bit of excess weight. But once people have given birth and the weight starts to, to come off the body, if you look at the backsides, like the butts of new moms, they're often very flat and sort of tucked under. And part of that is because they have, their body has adapted to that shifting center of gravity. And then once the baby is born, they don't just let go. The body has adapted to that new state. And there's often a lot of tension in that pelvic floor, which we want to address when we're pregnant because that can hinder us during our birth. And we want to make sure that we address it afterwards because that's a contributing factor to the lingering things like incontinence and prolapse. Yeah. And that's such an important point that you bring up. I, you know, I often uh, find myself shouting from the rooftops, the importance of butts, the importance of a Betty booty, because yeah. when you, and you know, I'm, you know, I call it the Betty booty, you know, it's like branding and whatever it's fun, but really you know, as a chiropractor, we've, we've talked about this idea, you know, we call it, I, I think there's some overlap with physiotherapy as well, where we refer to this as lower cross syndrome or glute amnesia is how it sort of was originally referred to where you are, the glutes are, as you mentioned, inhibited. And then it's hard to actually reactivate that neuromuscular connection. Hence what you are, you know, when you, you know, observationally say, okay, like there's a flattening of the roundness of the glute maximus. And then the, the way that they, I mean, I had the, I had the pregnancy waddle too. Like I remember feeling my first son engaged, like when he had sort of descended Ended and like, I couldn't, if I, I couldn't bring my legs together, if I tried, like his head was like in the ring of my belt, like I could, I was doing the waddle too, right? Like we, you know, we all go through this as women, but then we, um, you know, there's so much conflicting, um, first of all, we're never taught like what you just said, um, and the way that you just said it, we are not often, um, explained that. So I would give lectures in the clinic. I had a big pregnancy population a lot of new families where I was practicing. So we were talking about the mechanical changes in the spine and the, you know, the center of gravity shifts forward. And then you get these, you know, you know, and the kyphotic, like the accentuation of the kyphotic curve, the accentuation of the lordotic curve, the changes, as you mentioned, the sacroiliac joints um, as well. One of the things I, um, we'll get to childbirth in a minute, but I wanted to touch on, um, I want to talk a lot about Kegels, uh, but specifically um, I want to talk about the controversy of Kegels during pregnancy. Wow. So when I was, when I was uh, becoming certified in, um, I was taking extra training in pediatrics and pregnancy. Um, one of the things that we were taught now, this is, like I said, you know, I'm, I sometimes I feel like I'm five centuries old. So when I, you know, when, when we were first <laughs> learning, it was, we were, you know, we were taught that, well, if you do Kegels while you're doing, pre while you're pregnant, you mentioned the attachments uh, of the pelvic floor, one of them being the coccyx posteriorly. So if you are too aggressively doing Kegels while you're pregnant, you can that now bring the coccyx, which is the tailbone, anteriorly, which can now interfere. Let's say you're on your back uh, giving birth, then you can push the, the coccyx such that it starts to interfere with the baby's ability to pass through the birth canal. Now, I have thoughts on that, but before I, before I serve up those thoughts, I would, I would love for you, <laughs> I would love for you to, um, first, do you agree with that? And it might, my question, I might've asked it a little bit, uh, uh, preemptively, because I think there's an important, when we talk about a Kegel, there's sort of two important parts to it, but do first I'll ask, do you agree with the premise that a pregnant woman should stay away from Kegels? If yes, why, if no, why not? I don't agree. I believe that there is a place for Kegels. 
And my approach for anybody doing Kegels, regardless of whether they're pregnant or not, they need to be done correctly. They need to be done consistently and ideally coordinated with movement. In pregnancy, there's a shift where I may, depending on the person, have them um, reduce the number of actual contract and lifts versus how many kind of relaxations they may do. But there's benefit in taking the muscle through the full range of motion. There's with any part of our body, we our muscles like like to go through their full excursion. And by limiting that, I don't think it serves the purpose fully or just focusing on the relaxation. I, I think there's benefit in doing both. But there's also a, a, a slight shift that I have people do around the time that they would start perineal massage, which is usually somewhere between 35 and 37 weeks of, of pregnancy. And that is the focus becomes, I guess, solely on relaxation, learning to surrender, and ideally done in conjunction with perineal massage, where we're introducing discomfort and stretch and pressure. So sensations that they will be experiencing while they're birthing and learning how to yield, learning how to surrender, learning how to release tension, even if you're feeling some discomfort, because usually discomfort makes us withdraw and kind of tighten up. And their birth is not comfortable and we, we have to learn how to surrender into that. So I believe that if we can train the pelvic floor in positions that mimic what we're going to be experiencing in labor and birth, and then I do believe in perineal massage and coordinating that with breath and relaxation, then we, um, we're training the pelvic floor to be responsive to the task at hand, to what we're going to be experiencing. So I believe that there is a place for Kegels in pregnancy. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you because I think that when we think about, um, you know, these are, these are, you know, when we think about the pelvic floor, these are skeletal muscles, right? So we need to be working the concentric and the eccentric, or, you know, in this case, as you meant, it's tension and release. And I think that what happens in, whenever we think about muscles, we often will think about the contraction. You know, we, we think about the contraction, uh, the concentric versus the eccentric. And I remember learning, and this is, you know, this is not even just pelvic floor related. Like when you're in the gym, you know, and you're watching someone do like a bicep curl, the way that we even count, it's like, we count on the concentric. It's like yeah. one, yeah. two, you know, but if you, if you look at, um, you know, even if you go to sort of Eastern Europe, uh, and the way that they train, you, they actually train, they count on the eccentric. So they'll come up and then they'll slow that eccentric down. And then that's count one. Yeah. And so I think in, I think there's a tendency in North American Western culture to really be thinking about tension more, add more weight, and then add more weight again. And then we, actually, we, we actually forget about the power of the eccentric. Yeah. And in this case, it's the letting go. It's the release. Yeah. It's the opening. Yeah, exactly. And that's how we, we need, we need that release to be able to generate power. And what's happened with the Kegel exercise is people have thought of it as just a squeeze. And so they're often squeezing or, you know, squeezing and holding and sometimes they may be squeezing their pelvic floor, but sometimes they may be using their inner thighs or they may be using their glute muscles thinking they're doing a pelvic floor exercise. And when the focus is solely on just squeezing and holding tension without relaxation, then we, I always equate it to like a, a bicep curl. So here's my arm extended out and pretend it was down at the side of my body, but that's the resting length of my arm. And from here, I have a full range of motion for my arm to, to move through. And if I was to walk around with it half bent all day long, maybe even carrying something on there, then when I was called upon to do more work, I would say, well, heck, I've been working all day. I'm kind of tired and I don't have much room left. So there's not really much power left here anyway. But if we learn how to relax and let go and come back down to that optimal resting length and train the pelvic floor to go through its full range of motion, then we can, we have more capacity for power and we can respond to those increases in intra-abdominal pressure that we were talking about earlier. So, um, and the, the pelvic floor, as I mentioned, there's a closure. So the first two layers are responsible primarily for closing openings. And then the third layer is primarily responsible for organ support. And that's a lift. Levator ani is one of the groups of muscles and that means lift the anus. And so we have to remember, it's not just a squeeze, there's a drawing up and then there's the let go. So there's kind of three parts to a Kegel, contract, lift, and let go. 
Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. Element T also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. And I think there's so much confusion because, you know, the technocrats, you know, the ter- the technocratic, you know, <laughs> totalitarianism that we live in, you, you could search, we, you could search up how to do a bicep curl. You could look uh, and say, oh, I see that's how he's, oh, and I see he's supinating the forearm now. Now he's pronating the forearm and oh, there's all these different ways that you can do the, key, you know, the bicep curl. But we, we you know, you're going to talk to us a little bit about how to do a Kegel, but, you know, as much as, you know, I think we wouldn't be able to film you doing like we wouldn't be able to kind of get under and like take a look at what's going on. Right. So we have to we have to use our imagination because we don't necessarily have those visual cues that we can see on a YouTube or on an Instagram or on a whatever to yeah. be able to see what's going on. And I think that that's where, you know, I've often heard like pretend like you're zipping up your trousers or pretend like you're you know, like it's kind of this like zip and lift or like you're holding in your urine like that sort of visual cue. But for, you know, for some people, um, it when you're just using words and you can't demonstrate, you know, and that's, you know, that maybe that's where the value of a pelvic floor physio comes in because they can actually coach you like their fingers are there. And it's like, okay, I need you to lift more here. I need you to put pressure there. I need you to relax it. You know, all of that, all of that. And I think like, yes, to me, I'm always preaching pelvic health physio. And I believe that is our gold standard. And if you have access to one, I view them kind of like the dentists of our pelvic floor. So we have been conditioned from a young age to brush our teeth twice a day, floss, go to the dentist once or twice a year. Even if we have no toothache, no symptoms of anything, we just go to have a checkup. They're brilliant marketers, aren't they, those dentists? We have the same press for our pelvic floor. We We were taught at a young age that this is an incredibly important part of our body. This is how you do pelvic floor exercise. And then once you become sexually active, go see these amazing practitioners and they'll help keep it in check for your life that would be transformative. And so the other piece to that is we're um, not everybody has access to a pelvic floor physio and we have our own biofeedback. We have our own fingers. We might even have a partner. And if we have a partner, they have fingers and it's a male partner, they have a penis and they, those can be biofeedback. So we can explore our own body and feel like when I do a Kegel, so I'll walk you through some cues, but can I feel like there's a gentle hug Can I feel like there's a gentle drawing up and can I let that go? And you can ask your partner, can you feel when I do this? So yes, pelvic floor physio is what I always recommend as our gold standard, but we have access to tools. And if you're not comfortable with your fingers, there are biofeedback products even that can help you. Oh, I see them now. They, they, they always are, um, you know, Instagram, like, I'm like, oh gosh, what do you guys, you know, I always get the, you know, it's like the ones where you squeeze and it sends an app. It sends a thing to your app about how much, like how many Newtons of force or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're very cool. Um, all right. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, actually first, before we get there, what is a perineal massage? Just for the, like you mentioned it before, I'm familiar with it, but just for my Bettys who have never heard of what this is, is this something just localized in the context of pregnancy, or is this something that we can also use as a therapeutic intervention outside of pregnancy? It's typically associated with birth preparation. So the in the main philosophy around perineal massage is to prevent tearing. So that's what it's promoted for. I view it as a way to introduce sensations of stretch, pressure, and discomfort. And that person who is either doing it on themselves or having somebody do it for them, then experiences those sensations and learns what they need to do in their body to relax and to release and to surrender. So some people say it's like stretching, pre-stretching the muscles, yeah, or the tissue maybe, um, but part of what can contribute to the increased chances of tearing are things, are tension. And if we can learn how to release and, and relax those muscles, that that's very powerful in terms of reducing the likelihood of tearing. So from a landmark perspective, the 
perineum is in between the anus and this is the vulva. So this is the perineal body here. And it's very common to experience tearing usually off to the sides. There are some people who do experience some tearing upwards, but it's typically in through the perineal body. And it used to be common for people to, for doctors to perform what was called an episiotomy, where they would actually cut this tissue. And the intention was by cutting it, it would create more space and therefore make it easier for bum and babe. But what was happening was that was leading to more significant tearing and potentially tearing even into the anal sphincter, which was creating huge issues for people. So and not the way a woman might necessarily tear at all. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So natural tearing is definitely preferred over an episiotomy. Now, episiotomies may be performed in an emergency situation, but thankfully not done commonly uh, or like routinely anymore. And, but it's very common. I, mean, I think, th think the statistic is over 80% of people will some have some degree of tearing and, and first and second degree is fairly superficial. It's the third and fourth degree tears that we're trying to avoid. And uh, those are the ones that can have more long lasting issues. So the point of perineal massage is really to help again, introduce those sensations, learn how to surrender. And there are studies to support that people who participate in perineal massage may have a higher rate of intact perineum versus those that don't. But people who have torn potentially, or have maybe had a pelvic surgery where there was a repair to the perineum, or they had to cut the perineum in order to access the, to perform the surgery, that leaves scar tissue. And sometimes perineal massage can also be done to mobilize that scar tissue. And that can be done by yourself. And it can also be done by a pelvic floor physio physiotherapist. Great. Okay. So let's, let's imagine now that we've given birth and you know, and I, and I, I will also say that my experience postpartum was different than probably most because I, ha I was under the care of midwives. So my postpartum experience was, I, I almost want to call it like delightful because I had, you know, midwives kind of like a shout out to the seventh generation midwives in Toronto. You guys are the best. You can save my ass, you know, but they, you know, they came to the house, you know, like I, you know, came to the house and weighed the baby and did all the tests. And like, I, you know, you know, I am such a type, I had read all the books on breastfeeding. And when it came to doing it, I had no clue what I was doing. Help me breastfeed all the things. But mo I understand that most people don't have that um, experience and they might be under the, uh, they might be under the care of an OBGYN. And the problem that I have with postpartum care with OBs is that, and I, and I say this with love in my heart for all of my friends who are OBGYNs who are just following standard practice, um, is that, you know, they kind of see, they kind of book a six week, you know, uh, you know, follow-up after the baby's born. And maybe there's a, maybe there's an exam, maybe there's like a, how you doing, how's it going and what's going, you know, and then, and then you're dismissed. And, you know, if you think about the length of a pregnancy, it's about 40 weeks, give or take two weeks or give or take, yeah, two weeks on either side uh, for most people and six weeks postpartum, you know, six weeks versus 40, that's 15%, right? So you, you see the patient, you know, after they've had one of the biggest events of their life mm -hmm. and they're, you know, they're discharged, you know, and they're like, okay, you're good. Like, you know, see you in two years when you're pregnant again or, or never, you know, yep. quarter to never. And I, 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 I struggle with this as a standard of care because I think that there's a lot of assumptions that can be left to the decision of the woman who may not necessarily know that she um, ha may have some pelvic floor dysfunction. And at six weeks, like God, some women are still bleeding, you know, like you were still bleeding at that point. Right. Um, so I'd love for you to comment on um, postpartum care, what your, you know, ideal might be and what we need to be considering. Like if you have, you know, if you are under the care of an OBGYN and they have said, Hey, you're good, go back to everything. And then that, you know, that woman's like, great, I guess I can go back to my boot camp classes now. And I guess I can go and lift heavy weights the way I was doing. And I guess I can, you know, run marathons the way I was doing. Like what, talk to me about um, what your ideal standard of care might look like and why and how that contrasts with um, the six week post-op or post postpartum. Yeah. My ideals are 
to take inspiration from cultures around the world that embrace the philosophy of mother roasting or mother warming. And these practices honor the need for the birthing person, birthing women to heal and to recover. And that what you do in those first 40 days postpartum will set you up for the next 40 years. And the belief is that the body has gone through a transformation. The body has opened to allow a babe to allow conception. The muscles in the midline have moved away from, from, uh, from the midline to create space as the babe grows. The muscles in the pelvic floor have uh, stretched and expanded to allow for uh, vaginal birth. Maybe there's been a cesarean birth, so there's been incisions into the abdominal wall. So there's been this opening. And that leaves in Chinese medicine, they say it's, it leaves the body prone to wind or cold. And so they introduce wrapping, so wrapping the pelvis um, and the abdominal wall, warm massages with oils, warm nourishing foods, bone broths, collagen-rich foods. So there's a, there's a holistic view to healing the body. And in North America, we many people are back at the gym at two weeks postpartum, and they're they're lifting weights. They're they're kind of they face like I feel fine. And while people may feel fine, we have to appreciate all of the adaptations that have happened over the period of nine months, coupled with all that has happened, whether it's been a vaginal or a cesarean birth and how that has altered the mechanics of our breath, the mechanics of our core control mechanisms, our ability to manage pressures. And that they're like, this is a very strong word and not everybody will agree with me, but even if you have no external tearing, you have an intact perineum, there is still an element of injury that happens to the body in birth. And with any other injury, with any other injury, we would, we would, acknowledge that and we would rest and we would go through a period of gradual progressive movement back to an activity. When it comes to postpartum, we'd rehab it. We'd rehab it. Yeah, we should. We should be rehabbing. We should be retraining, but we are given this, this elusive six week green light. We're sure some superficial tissue healing may have, have occurred, but we have some, some studies that looked at both cesarean and vaginal births, the, the, the majority of women have some degree of organ prolapse. So the displacement of the bladder, the uterus and or the rectum at six weeks postpartum, the majority. And if anybody has experienced any form of uh, incontinence while they're pregnant and has not, have not addressed it, the chances of that lingering right after and even like for years beyond is very high as well. And if we took the time to rest and to recover and to retrain, so get that reconnection back between the brain and the pelvic floor, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor, and gradually rebuild that connection, rebuild the strength, stamina, endurance, suppleness of our core, and then gradually load it, um, and not not by six weeks, like, you know, see a pelvic floor physio around six or eight weeks, and then we start to gradually add more loaded exercise, but my opinion is uh, holding off on the higher impact. So running, jumping, really heavy lifting for around four to six months postpartum. That doesn't mean we're not doing anything. That means we are doing very intentional core restoration work, gradually loading, getting back to a four to six week timeline, and then making sure that we have met prerequisite exercises that say, yes, you are ready to go back to running without putting yourself at risk for injury or long-term core challenges like organ prolapse or incontinence. So I disagree with the six week green light. I think that, we you know, as you were mentioning, we have a nine month period of adaptation. It's not unrealistic to think we have a nine months on the other side of, of not an undoing, but as a rebuilding and, and, if we honored that, if we acknowledge that, I feel like the number of um, people who, I, I just had a person the other day who had a fantastic birth, no, no tearing, everything was lovely, I felt fantastic. And at four months postpartum, I was just moving a mattress with my husband and I felt a pop and she developed organ prolapse. She had done no core restoration training. She had done nothing, nothing. like and. 
not, not to her fault. Nobody had explained that to her. She just simply didn't know. And I think there are so many people that say, why didn't somebody tell me? I wish someone had told me I would have done things differently. And, right. and that just breaks my heart. It really yeah. breaks my heart. And it, it's kind of, it, it also feeds into this, like, um, I don't know what they call it, but like, you know, getting your body back. Like it's the baby, it's like your post baby body. That's what it is. It's like, you know, you always see it in these like trash magazines where it's like, look, she gave birth like two months ago and she already has her abs back. And like, we feed into this, like, we, we don't honor what happened. It's like, we just want to forget about it as quickly as possible. Like we, you know, I know you, uh, you are a Canadian. I am, I am also in Canada. Um, but you know, a lot of Americans listen to this podcast, actually most, uh, most of, you know, my audience is mostly our cousins, uh, to the South and they go, they go back to work after six, six, four to six. It's like, it's like, it didn't happen. You know, it's just like pop the baby out and back to work as, as per normal. And I think that, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to kind of, you know, I talk a lot about the patriarchy. I talk about that on the podcast. Um, but I think that this is part of it. I think that I really do. You, you have, you are, as a woman, you are gifted and blessed with this ability to create life. And you do that by pushing this baby through your pelvis and for you not to honor that there were, if you had a shoulder issue and you came to me, you know, there would be a whole thing. Like there'd be a whole, like, let's work on passive range of motion. And then we'll get to active range of motion. And then we'll get to load bearing activity. You know, I'm talking about this in like a rehabilitative, rehabilitative sense. And let's make sure your proprioception is there. And let's make sure all of these different things going into the joint. And this is a multi joint multi, you know, it is the base of our bodies, it, you know, and for you to just be like, yeah, I'm just going to run that marathon again. I'm going to, you know, I, I think that that is such a disservice to the yeah. female form. I couldn't agree more. And I, and I look at, you know, in pregnancy, we, that the belly is revered and people are posting images every day and comparing it to the size of fruits and vegetables, the whole, it's this, it's, we're so proud of it. And as soon as we've given birth, it becomes a place of shame and we have to hide it away and we have to look Correct. not pregnant as fast as possible. Correct. And I believe that's contributing again to the, to the, to the breakdown of the body. It's, it's like, we need to rest. We need to recover and rehab. It really truly requires rehab. Like any other part of the body that became injured we would go through a rehab and it is simply overlooked with, with pregnancy and birth. And, and I don't, it, it, there's also debate within the fitness realm, some physiotherapists as well about how quickly we start to load. And there are some people saying, well, maybe we need to load sooner. And, and I, I disagree. I think we, we need to have that gradual return and we are very strong. We are capable. We are very resilient. We are, we are, we have the capacity to do a lot of things, but for the people who, aren't given that information, aren't taken through that gradual progression and go back too quickly, too soon. I believe, I don't understand the purpose behind it. We can gradually load and we have seen the the benefits of that through years of rehab in all different, in Cairo and physio. And, and if we take those principles and honor them, then I feel like it would, it would serve us so much better. Yeah. Talk a little bit about, um, or if you can talk a little bit about how the pelvic floor changes. So there's, you mentioned in the context of pregnancy, we can all, you know, understand that there are hormonal changes, obviously wildly fluctuating hormonal changes, you know, pre, during and post-pregnancy. As a woman is in perimenopause, uh, let's say she's, she has her, you know, maybe she has one or two children and then into menopause. How do some of the hormonal um, changes there speak to or influence the integrity of the pelvic floor? Mm -hmm. So during perimenopause, which is, you know, people will say it's usually the six to 10 years prior to menopause and menopause being one day, that one day marks 12 year, 12 days, sorry, (laughs) 12 months, consecutive months without a period. So you have menopause is one day, anything prior is peri, anything after is post. And the, the perimenopausal years can be, there's a lot of stuff happening and, and a lot of hormone imbalance. There's thyroid stuff. There's a whole bunch of things that can influence the person, stress levels, sleep levels, hormone levels, all sorts of things. And with regards to the pelvic floor, that person may have been experiencing some symptoms. So even people who have never been pregnant, never given birth, they can experience things like incontinence. And sometimes that can be posture related. Sometimes it can be hormone related. And in perimenopause, they may, it may start to start, it may start to show up. And then once we get closer to menopause, then there are, so 
in perimenopause, our, our hormones are fluctuating quite dramatically. And once we reach menopause, then essentially our, our estrogen has been depleting and then essentially stopped. So we are no longer producing estrogen. And within our pelvis, the walls of the vagina with the tissues around our bladder, like within our pelvis, we have a lot of estrogenic tissue that loves estrogen. And when we no longer produce it, then those tissues become less supple. They may become a bit more dry, brittle. Vaginal atrophy is a, is a term that's used. Vaginal dryness starts to show up. And it, it will pretty much happen to every single person. Vaginal dryness is, I'm not going to say everybody, but pretty much everybody. <laughs> like, like there are going to be a few people here and there, but generally most people will experience dryness. And it's one of the symptoms that does not improve. So hot flashes may show up, but then they gradually, for most people, will, dis will, will start to disappear. But vaginal dryness does not typically improve. So that's one. Dryness uh, is a big one. And also with the fluctuating levels of estrogen even prior to, so within perimenopause, we may start to, a lot of people will comment how the week before their period or the week of their period, they will notice that they're more symptomatic. So maybe they're prolapse, they feel it more, or maybe they leak a little bit more. And that's very closely tied to what's happening with the, the decline in, in estrogen again. And it's directly influencing- like a mini menopause, those three or four days, exactly. right? It's like a mini menopause, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's a good kind of window into what's going to happen in the future. And then hopefully it motivates and, and gets people to take some action and it's never too late. So there's people I work with who are post-menopause 15, 20 years who can make change. It's never too late, but if we can get this, if we can be aware and be, be addressing it along the way, then we won't need to experience um, dryness and atrophy and incontinence and all these things that can really interfere with our quality of life. So those are the most common. And then people who are wearing, potentially wearing pads because they have incontinence and because they're accepting it as, well, that's just the way that it is. Cause that's what media tells me, or that's what my doctors told me, then pads contribute to dryness as well. And so it becomes this vicious cycle that they're wearing pads to address the incontinence. It's not really addressing the incontinence, it's masking it, but that can also contribute to the dryness. And so again, people are just accepting that, well, I'm in menopause now and this is just the way that it is, but there is so much that can be done to overcome dryness and atrophy and, and get back to enjoying sex again, to not having clothes irritate us, to be able to move with more freedom. And so I hope anybody who's listening to this really um, has some hope brought back because so many people are hopeless. They think that that's... That, Sex sucks. I can't have it anymore. My relationships are breaking down. Um, I can't exercise this way anymore because I think it might make it worse or because I leak all the time. And that's, that's, that's no way. Like we, we have to, we have to move away from that. And, and there's absolutely hope and there's so much that can be done. Another thing I vehemently oppose is bad sex. And of course, if you, you know, if you can, if you can, and I don't mean that in a, you know, in a, in a, in a rude or I, I mean it fr from a place of love, you know, it's it, as a woman, if you are experiencing poor lubrication, you know, pain, you know, the penetrative sex is painful. And you know that you're in kind of that drop zone between the 40 to, you know, 53 ish, you know, age range, then you know, there, there's absolutely, th you know, for you to understand what's happening and yeah. then to also understand that there are things that you can be doing to help with the integrity of the pelvic floor. And, you know, as you were, as you were saying, like, just to kind of reinforce this idea of, you know, right before, you know, the period, when we see this big drop, well, of course we know that, you know, the other, um, the other thing that we might, that I've, that I've had women uh, sort of confide to me is that the other time, if there is some sort of prolapse is right before ovulation where we see estrogen actually gets really high yeah. right before ovulation. And that's because estrogen makes our ligaments lax. It makes our ligaments loosey goosey. So, and when we think about many of our organs in our pelvis are suspended uh, in the abdominal cavity via ligamentous um, attachments. Yeah. So if you are... And this is all the more reason for my perimenopausal women to get their hormones under control, particularly those who run a bit more estrogen dominant relative to progesterone, because that is going to make your ligaments everywhere. You know, I talk about it a lot in the context of like resistance training. This is when you should do hit. This is when you should not do hit. This is when you should lift yeah. heavy. This is when you should not lift heavy. But it's also, it also applies here at the in the pelvic floor as well, because 
your bladder is going to be a little bit more loosey goosey because those ligaments are loosey goosey. Uterus, uterus, same thing. Yeah, um, yeah. I love, um, I love how you talk about, and Dr. Stacy Sims talks about as well, cycling with our cycle. That's something yeah. that I've always said is we, we go through these hormone fluctuations. So let's, let's tailor our training so that we're honoring that cycle and the hormone fluctuations. And, and for people who are, are, are proactive minded, hyaluronic acid is a great, um, it's a great vaginal moisturizer. So just like we put all this hyaluronic acid on, in our serum, skin serums on our face, we can do the same thing with our pelvic floor and that can help. Hyaluronic acid retains moisture. So it helps retain moisture, but it also helps heal any already dry, irritated tissue. There's a great, this, I'm not financially tied to this, but um, moisturizeyourvagina.com has a great, very clean product that's hyaluronic acid and vitamin E that has transformed people. Um, people's lives from a sex, but also just a daily comfort perspective. So I recommend people start that before they have a problem, but it's also something they can start if they already do, do have a problem. And also vaginal estrogen is something else that I think can be very, yeah. very helpful for, for people. And sometimes even the postpartum population can benefit from that when they have the declining estrogen levels as well. Absolutely. Did you say moisturizeyourvagina.com? Was that what it was? Moisturizeyourvagina.com. Yeah. All right. We'll get that in the show notes and what a great name, <laughs> what a great <laughs> handle. And speaking, speaking of handles, um, you know, I, I, I usually start off the podcast really understanding how the person's, you know, body of work really came to be. And I was just so excited to talk about the pelvic floor. We just kind of <laughs> dove in, but you are the vagina coach, right? Yeah. Like that is the handle that is, uh, your life's work. So I would love, um, you know, first, does every, do we all need a vagina coach? Like we all have like mindset coaches. We have, you know, financial advisors, you know, is it your, is it your, um, you know, opinion that we all need a vagina coach? And, um, and I would just love to know how you, how that were, how that title came to be, because it's so, yeah. it's wonderful. Yes. I think every vagina will benefit from a, from a coach and how it came about was, so how I got into the world of pelvic health was through my own fear fascination with childbirth. And there was a biofeedback device made out of uh, Germany called the Epino, which was designed to help prepare the perineum and the pelvic floor for birth. So I used this product, had a great experience, and I, I my friends weren't having as great of an experience. And I contacted the company and I said, could I be a distributor for this and, and sell it on the side? That was my intention. So that's how it started. Uh, gave birth to my second, uh, started a website, started to get a few more different pelvic health products, learned about pelvic floor physio. So I hadn't uh, until like a couple of years after my second was born, learned about pelvic floor physio, learned what they did, started screaming from the rooftop, rooftops that every single person who has given birth should be seeing a pelvic floor physiotherapist and um, as part of their postpartum recovery. And then I formed a second business called Belly Zinc and we were looking at optimizing postpartum recovery and we manufactured a wrap and coupled that with restorative exercise that was pelvic floor initiated. And so I was working very much in the birth world for a while. So I, I it became kind of my full-time thing in 2009. Um, and then it, pregnant women, new moms was the majority of who I was working with. And then as I was going through the different life stages, going into perimenopause and people were coming to me saying, well, you know, I gave birth 15 years ago. Can you help me? And the principles were the same. And I said, the conversation needs to happen through the life cycle. And at the time with pregnant women, I was known as the fitness doula. That was my handle. And it didn't really resonate with people in perimenopause and menopause. And so I was kind of thinking, you know, what could I, how can I change this? What can it be? So it was in, in my mind. And then I was speaking to, there's an organization in Toronto called the Mompreneur Organization, and they have a national conference, and I was one of the speakers. My talk was how optimizing your pelvic health can make you a better mompreneur. I get up on stage, and up to that point, you know, as you were mentioning, there's financial coaches, there's marketing, you know, people have coaches for all types of things within their business. And I got up on stage and I just sort of joked. I said, well, now you have a vagina coach for your business. And it just kind of came out, and it was like this light bulb moment, and I just said, that that is it. It's the word nobody likes to say. It's the part of the body I want people to be focusing on. I want to normalize the conversation and we have to get over this, you know, vagina, like whispering this word. And so I just said, I put it, I put it on my, my Instagram and I said, fitness doula, vagina coach. And it read like, everyone's like hands down vagina coach. And I just said, all right, that's it. I'm committing and making the move. And, and that was, I think about five years ago now. And, um, it's, it's, it was awesome. It is awesome. And it, sometimes people say like, 
vagina? Did you say vagina coach? And so people are still a little bit uncertain. Did she go there? Did she say that word? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it sums it up. And and I'm, I'm, I'm really, truly on a mission to make this a word that is not so uncomfortable and to make sure future generations are given information at an earlier age and that we are proud and that we rock pelvic health. It's, it's, it, it's not something we need to be ashamed of. And Kegels are cool. Kegels are a core exercise. And when we are doing them correctly and coordinated with movement, we are powerful and we can have confidence through any stage of our life. Absolutely. And I, you know, you and I are on a similar mission because I, you know, wrote about menstrual cycles and talking about how we can understand and empower ourselves through the information that our body is always giving us. And the pelvic floor is absolutely no different. I think that, um, you know, women have been taught, you know, in, at least in the menstrual hormonal realm, we've been taught to fear our, we've been taught to fear our fertility, never actually taught how it works. I think the same is true for our pelvic, you know, it's like, we know that the lady's going to tell you they're going to, your legs are going to be separated and someone's going to say push. (laughs) That's like the, basically what everyone knows about their pelvic floor and nothing else. Um, yeah. And I, I, I agree with you. I think that it's high time for us to not have shame around our anatomy for us to know what is a vagina, what is a vulva, you know, the differences between the two. Um, and I think, you know, understanding how the pelvic floor works is such an empowering, um, you know, piece of information as a woman to help self-regulate. I love it. I love what you're doing. It's great. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So if people want to find out more about you, about your work, uh, I know you have courses. Um, I know you love hypopressives as I do as well. I've seen, I was stalking your um, Instagram handle and I was like, oh, she likes hypopressives just like me. It's so great. I love, I, I use them almost every day. They're amazing. So tell everybody, you know, uh, courses, if they want to find, if they want to work with you, like how can people find you? Um, yeah, vaginacoach.com is my, my website and basically any of my social media handles are, if you put vagina coach into Google, you'll find me on Instagram and LinkedIn and YouTube, wherever you'd like to go. And, um, I have, I have two kind of components. So I, I have courses and programs for people that are pregnant or people who have incontinence and prolapse. Um, there's a 28 day buff muff challenge. There's a 28 day birth, like a boss challenge. So whatever phase of life you're in, there's something for you. But then I also have certification courses for fitness and allied health professionals who work with uh, the female population and want to understand how they can within their scope, um, not, not diagnose, but screen for things like incontinence and prolapse and what sort of exercise can they be providing and movement and therapies can they provide to help their people move better and move in ways that actually helps rather than hinders their situation. Um, so those are kind of the two components. And I also offer a free discovery call that, that people can book on my website. It's a 30 minute call with me because it, it's, you know, not everybody is familiar yet with what a vagina coach does and they're they're but they're also like, okay, this person, I heard them and they're giving me a little bit of hope. What can my next steps be? And people can then come and explore, uh, ask some questions, have a little bit of direction and then decide whether working in one of my programs is right for them or working one-on-one with me. And a lot of people who learn hypopressives like to work one-on-one with me to kind of fine tune the technique. It's a little bit different than some of the other types of exercise, but it really is so powerful for prolapse and also incontinence. And uh, I reverse the stage two prolapse myself with it and I do it every single day. I love it. And it's a part of pretty much every person that I work with. And you wrote a book as well. I've wrote a couple of books. My most recent one, Your Pelvic Floor, launched in March of this year. And uh, I wrote one called Pregnancy Fitness that's published through Human Kinetics. Um, Prepare to Push was my very first book. So that was, again, working with um, pregnant women and, and people. Um, and I have another one called The Inside Story, which is more just kind of like a small ebook, but it talks about pregnant, uh, sorry, pelvic health through, through the life cycles. And all of those are also available on my website. Amazing. So we will have all of those links in the show notes, Bettys, if you'd like to reach out to Kim. Kim, it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, I will support you in all the ways that I can to help you get your message out there, one through this podcast with my Bettys that are listening here as well. So thank you so much for your brilliance and for your time. It's been great. Likewise, I really enjoyed chatting and thank you so much for helping increase awareness and get the message out. You are welcome. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation and also wanted to make sure that you knew about the program that we are running this month. It is called Betty Hormones and we are talking 
all things hormones. So we just had our first class. It was recorded and you'll be able to access it afterwards. And it was all about cortisol and epinephrine, norepinephrine, the sympathetic system and the effects that that has on our hormones, our general well-being and our happiness. And of course, strategies that you can uh, employ to help reduce your stress on a day-to-day basis. In the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about sex hormones. We're going to be talking about balancing our testosterones, our estrogens, which is a really big topic for my perimenopausal women. And we'll also be getting into thyroid health uh, and some of the hormones around metabolism. So touching on cortisol starts to bridge that. And we're also going to be bringing in uh, thyroid hormones and how to optimize for them. We're going to talk a little bit about growth hormone as well and other strategies, whether it's lifestyle behaviors, foods that you can be eating, movements that you can be engaging in and habits and tricks and strategies for you to be optimizing your hormones every day, all day. And it's not over overwhelming that you're not going to be doing every single day, 24 hours a day, optimizing your hormones, but small strategies that really have big, big oomph. And we had such a great call, um, this week or last week, I should say the next call is coming up this Wednesday. And if you are in a time zone that does not afford you Uh, the ability to join the calls live. They're recorded. You will have lifetime access to them. And it's just something I'm really, really proud of and really want to invite you to join if you feel so inclined to do so. So you can check out the program uh, at hellobetty.club. That's www.hellobetty, H-E-L-L-O-B-E-T-T-Y dot club, C-L-U-B forward slash Betty, again, B-E-T-T-Y dash hormones, H-O-R-M-O-N-E-S. So you can see the curriculum there, what we're going to be doing, how the program is going to be laid out and really looking forward to seeing you there. So please join, please join us and you'll be able to ask your questions to me live. And uh, last week we had so many questions Uh, that I wasn't able to get to them all. So what I'm doing is I'm actually creating a bonus episode to be able to answer all these questions. And I'll do that every single week if I need to, to make sure that all of your answers are, all of your questions are answered. So love to see you there. Hope to see you there. And we'll talk very soon. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. 